Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Commercial Property Investor Podcast, where it's my job to introduce you to people from the world of commercial property. We're talking with investors and thought leaders about their experiences of the commercial property world and sharing our own lessons from the last 20 years to give you practical know-how so that you can follow in their footsteps. If you've ever thought commercial could be your next step, but it just seems too confusing and opaque, then you've come to the right place. There are so many exciting opportunities in this dynamic sector, and I'm looking forward to pulling back the curtain and sharing them with you. Sometimes these landlords are your pension fund, by the way, or a small business owner who has one unit, just one, for an investment. They're not a public service. Hello, welcome back to the Commercial Property Investor Podcast. Now, this is actually the first episode I'm recording in 2024. So I just want to quickly say Happy New Year to you and I wish you all the very best for this year. I don't know about you, but I'm feeling really optimistic about this year. I think it's going to be a good one for commercial property investors and operators. It's not going to be plain sailing, right? And that brings opportunities, though, for lettings and purchases. Now, I hope you've set your goals for this year. I decided not to do an episode on goal setting, which is one of my favourite subjects at this time of the year, which is often when we do them. But there's plenty of previous episodes in from previous years on this topic. So have a look back on in January or December if you're wanting to brush up on your goals. You haven't quite done it yet because, look, we're halfway through January already. Now, firstly, before we get started on today's conversation, I just wanted to say a big thank you to all of our guests last year and to our partners who sponsored the podcast and supported us throughout the year. And of course, a big thank you to you, our listeners. Without you, we'd be nothing, just voices lost in the virtual void. (laughs) So thank you for making us meaningful and giving us purpose. So you might have noticed that our Monday's episode wasn't quite the norm, the one that just went out this week. We had a little communication malfunction and we put out Thursday's episode, that's today's one, on Monday. Now, I'm sure you'll agree it was a great episode. If you haven't listened, you need to tune into that one. John is such an interesting character with lots to share and he's so modest and yet super supportive and very authentic. I love to hear his story and to see how things are evolving for Grit Studio. So I'm, I'm hoping to do a catch up with him later on in the year. Now, as it happens, I did have plans for this episode. I just hadn't planned for them to go out today. And I had written up some notes and done a little research. Now, I don't know about you, but the high street is something that I see talked about a lot. And actually, recently, there was a LinkedIn post from Ron Smith on the challenges of the high street. And there were lots of comments, as you would expect, with the usual wide spectrum of complete sense comments and complete nonsense comments. (laughs) Now, I'm going to give my own tuppence worth, right? But as it happens, I do have some limited experience of high streets. So we've owned uh, two commercial units on high streets in separate towns, so different experiences there. And we also own and operate a fairly large city centre site too. So we don't have multiple sites, but we've got a little bit of experience. But also I've worked with a number of investors who've been buying on high streets and obviously taking a keen interest on what's been going on. Over the years. Now, I actually grew up in a Highland town during the 80s, and a few things have evolved and changed since then on the high street, obviously, in more recent years in particular. There are some professionals out there, of course, who are in a much better position to talk about this subject. 
with more research and day-to-day experience than I will ever have. However, like a lot of investing, everybody can be an expert before the event. And if they got it right, they're going to be a guru after it. But for the most part, it's all subjective. Often misguided, in my opinion, and regularly oversimplified where there is a single silver bullet solution presented. And it's going to change everything. So now, having got that out, (laughs) I want to share my own so-called expert opinion. And you can take it or leave it. But one of the headlines that's often used, or you see a lot, is that over the last five years in the UK, we've lost 6,000 retail units, which does sound like a lot. But we need to get some kind of perspective around that, right? So according to the British Retail Association, we have just over 300,000 separate retail businesses. Now, of course, numbers are difficult, right? You pick the number that you want to prove your point. And actually, that by name would suggest there's a lot more retail units because some have multiple sites. But just as a rough idea, 300,000 retail businesses, well, 6,000 over five years, relates to about 2% just to give us some kind of rough guide, right? Some kind of perspective. Now, uh, PwC or PricewaterhouseCoopers report in 23 showed some positive things about certain sectors, but they weren't necessarily, this is about retail, but not necessarily about the high street. So I just want to pull out a a statement they made there. High streets and shopping centres as an asset class are still in decline, with the growth sectors, leisure and discount supermarkets, all seemingly out of town, whether standalone or in retail parks. There's concern over the continued closure of services as they move online, right, we all know about that, with no let-up in the decline of banks, betting shops and estate agents, giving fewer people, sorry, fewer reasons to visit high streets. And here's the important bit, I guess. And with footfall stubbornly refusing to recover, this long-term decline is now 10 to 20% below pre-pandemic levels. Okay, so firstly, that's UK. Secondly, that's the average or their view on all high streets, not necessarily the one you're looking at investing in. However, it does show there's a continuing decline. Interestingly, in the same report, they talk about certain out-of-town sections or or, um, areas doing rather better. So, Why is this continuing to happen to the high street? And what is the solution? Many have given their opinions, of course, over the years, over the decades even, and often with a couple of specific reasons and not necessarily with a solution or often a resignation that actually there's nothing that can be done. And this is not as simple as it sounds. I think it's really quite complex. And every single town in high street has a different set of circumstances. And people don't seem to talk about that. They just talk about, oh, the high street's this, or it's that, or it's a problem with this, or it's a problem with that. As investors, we need to cut out all the fluff and we've got to work out what's going on in our area. And in my opinion, town centres can regenerate. And there's lots of good examples of that, but there's not one size fits all. Every centre has different dynamics going on. The levers are similar, but the combinations can be quite different. Now, as investors, we have to work out what's going on in our target market. Not everywhere. 
Sure, the national trends are important to be aware of, but local factors are key. Now here, I th- I'm just going to list here some of the levers that I think are affecting the high streets, right? And it might not be your high street has, has problems with this. It might be yours is doing super well. I say yours, where you currently live. But all of these little levers combined are causing the challenges, I think. And when we try and find a silver bullet or one solution without looking at the overall perspective, it just falls flat on its face. So in no particular order, although the first one's a pretty big one, and in my experience of the high street, really the single biggest deal breaker, this is for people taking space, is the business rates cost. Sure, there's rent and it's high, right? But in many locations that I've looked at, right, the business rates charged are actually more than the rental. Now, the councils don't own the assets or take the risk of owning them, but they, or central government, often earn more than the landlords from the property. And often, of course, those landlords are our pension funds. Sometimes they're private individuals. Business rates can be just too high and too inflexible. So think about this. As soon as a space is occupied in a town centre or anywhere, actually, the full rates are charged. So it makes it really difficult. If you put yourself in the shoes of a small business that's wanting to grow, then it actually makes it really difficult to take larger space to grow into because there's no flexibility here. As soon as you move in, as soon as you start doing something in that property, bang, business rates, full rate, pay us. And it just means that um, if you're trying to grow your business, you're going to have to move to another one and move to another one. So you're trying to make this guess as to what size works with you. And I just, my point here is just there's total inflexibility there. And another really interesting point about rates that um, Jay Hogarty brought up on that post, which, and Jay's been on the, po- uh, been on the podcast before. Um, he's uh, got a, a wealth of experience in the high street. And he gave a really good example of how messed up things are, right? He points out that he opened a store on a main street in Dundee and as a quality charity shop operator, they were um, managing to get 80% business relief. And that 80% business rates relief made it possible to put the store in. Otherwise, they wouldn't have been able to do it, which is interesting, isn't it? Because high-end charity shops are in many high streets, And this rates quirk is making almost the only answer for stores that are sitting over that rates threshold where um, you can maybe benefit from small rates, uh, small business rates relief by having a small unit. But as soon as you go over that unit, that size, you have to pay rates. There is no mitigation. But if you're a charity, you'll get 80%. So just interesting little quirk that's changing the, the type of tenants that are moving into these locations. It's something that's there to try and help charities, of course, and that, that's well, uh, well-meaning, but actually it's having ramifications elsewhere. And another thing for those who think that the problem is the landlords wanting too much rent, landlords have to pay rates on empty units too, which can be crippling. And it's amazing how many people don't know that. They just think, well, landlords just want to charge so much money that nobody can take the unit. Well, I- I'm not sure I've met many landlords who are um, (laughs) frustrated that they're not achieving the right rent. Actually, a lot of them are just trying to find a tenant. Now, sometimes these landlords are your pension fund, by the way, or a small business owner who has one unit, just one, for an investment. 
They're not a public service, despite how some people view them. I'm trying not to get on my, um, my uh, soapbox here. <laughs> but it's amazing to me how often landlords who own retail shops seem to be this one big thing, this entity, and it's a public service. It's not. It's people like you and me, small investors, or people who've put money into their pensions. We're all joined together in this. Now, a different perspective, but another lever for me is parking and an overzealous parking ticket regime. Okay, I've maybe been caught once or twice and I'm a wee bit cheesed off about it, but really, it can put off potential residents and occupants for town centres and shoppers when there is a really zealous parking um, ticket regime going on. It's just really challenging. And it and it, you, you think to yourself, well, I'm here to invest in this town or city centre, whatever it is. And yeah, I appreciate there's parking controls and things. But sometimes it can just go a little bit too far. And I, rem- I used to live in Edinburgh, beautiful city. Love living in Edinburgh, love the city. But my goodness... As soon as you drive into that city, you feel like a criminal because you're driving around in a car. Everything is set up to try and remove your car from you, (laughs) or if not that, at least the money out of your pocket. It just seems that you are being persecuted for having a car. I used to um, park within, I don't know, three, four hundred yards of where we lived. And if I came back late, I'd have to sometimes park up to half a mile away from where I lived. And that was over 15 years ago. Now when I go back and visit that area, the double yellow lines are everywhere where I used to park. So I just think to myself, I I don't think I could have a car where I used to live. It's just mad. Now, I appreciate that, you know, we've got to do things about that. But nevertheless, if you're looking at attracting people back to central areas, that is part of the mix. It's something that we have to deal with, whatever way that solution is. And of course, that leads me on to the next one, which is transport. In general, is it broken? Does it take all day to get there? If it does, your customers are going to go somewhere else. They're just not going to come to the city centre. Obviously, the cheapest and easiest and quickest form of transport is actually ordering everything online. It's not leaving the home. So we have to make these things attractive, right? Now, that leads me on to planning. (laughs) I'm putting this in as just a general topic, but poor forward planning with an overall all outlook, i.e. a lack of joined up thinking, can lead to these situations that we have now. We've all seen plenty of examples of out-of-town developments, but no consideration to the knock-on effects. And, and I think most sensible planning departments are waking up to that, of course. Part of the problem, though, is often planning work in wards or, or particular areas. So th- again, that's not always joined up so we've not got this overarching viewpoint but that poor planning that's specific to local uh, to certain areas is leading to or has led to challenges that are then having knock-on effects out-of-town shopping centers let's just talk about that for a second i mean let's be realistic they are great for consumers and for businesses because they're a much more efficient way of designing the shopping element of a town centre. It's just that it's not in the town centre. And town centres are more than, or sorry, these these locations now are slightly more than retail. And I'm not saying, 
I'm for or against out-of-town shopping centres or retail experiences or parks or whatever. But the reality is retailers have a choice. Consumers have a choice now. And the efficiencies that we used to have in town centres are now working often better in these out-of-town locations. So we have to think about that, right? And interestingly... Uh, the way I view it, and, and again, I've not got loads of experience in this, right? So I may be talking complete nonsense. But for me, the income generation for government in city centres is through business rates. Now, okay, maybe through parking tickets too. <laughs> but it's through a business rate system. And it's all about retail space. Okay, occasionally offices. But that's the income generation, and it's a big beast, right? It's really difficult to wean yourself off that, even if it's sinking. And this means that town centres are viewed through one lens only, and that of retail and the income it brings. It needs a holistic approach. That income generation is outdated and needs a major rethink. I think that, in a nutshell, if there's going to be a silver bullet somewhere, it's probably that one. It's the thought process around income generation for local authorities and, of course, um, uh, governments, depending on what government or part of the country you live in. But often those rates go to different sectors, right, or parts of the government. But basically, those city centres are a huge income generator. And if it's all about retail space and that's the lens we're looking for, then all planning, thinking and everything else is going to be around that. So I think the income generation needs to be rethought and it's outdated because it's screwing up how we view these things. Okay, another completely separate topic, but another thing to really think about, energy costs and the new energy measures that are coming in are incredibly difficult for operators and landlords, particularly in some of these older some might say outdated buildings in city centres. Now, I don't have a simple solution here, but it is a real problem that needs to be looked at. And it's not just from a point of view of, you know, funding and support and all that. There's a lot of different moving parts in that too, but it's something that's going to become more acute than easier. Often people talk about, it's a different topic, often people talk about drugs, antisocial behaviour in towns and city centres, and, and it may be that your city centre or town where you are this is a real problem. And, and, you know, it's something that has not been dealt with. It's getting worse, particularly after dark, but increasingly during the day too. And nobody wants to have to remove hypodermic needles from the shop front, from the door at the front of the shop as part of the daily setup procedure. That's just not good, is it? And this is something that is plaguing sometimes really badly. And in others, it's something that's starting to occur and appear. And it needs to be dealt with, right? And there's some, there are particular reasons why certain individuals are in parts of towns and things because there are particular things and <laughs> establishments they're wanting to visit. And again, that's part of that joined up thinking, isn't it? Interestingly, you know, how much influence do we have on that as investors? Well, <laughs> some, I guess you could argue, and that's all about networking and putting pressure on different places and people and everything else. But that's a bigger problem that needs to be dealt with. Now, next for me on the list, this may sound um, a little bit left field, and okay, it could be a big can of worms I'm going to open up here, I know that, but the new minimum wage. <laughs> Whatever the logic for £11.44 an hour, whether it's political, social, whatever, 
the result or one of the results is that food and beverage establishments and retail are going to find it incredibly difficult not to put prices up considerably. And that coupled with other major cost increases is making operating on the high street really difficult, which is why there's more vacancies starting to be. I don't know about you, but I noticed during COVID, local smaller high streets filled up. Those little units were filling up with independence. There was more footfall locally than there was maybe in the city centres. But those spaces are starting to appear back again. I'm starting to notice one or two more to lets and for sale signs. Some of the some high streets had completely filled up, but they're just starting to appear again. And and I think that's because well, I, we all know that's in the in the main because of um, costs. The footfall hasn't necessarily changed. It's not like that's decreased. It's just the fact these costs are getting incredibly high, and the new minimum wage is one of those. So, just as an example. Um, for those of you that run your own business, you'll know this. For those of you who don't, if if you have an employee who's on the minimum wage £11.44 or any any wage, to be honest, there's a national insurance contribution to made to be made, sorry, there's a pension contribution to be made. And of course, depending on what type of business you operate, when somebody takes a holiday, you need to bring somebody else in to cover that. It might not always be the case. It might be you've got a bit of slack there and you can cover that. But if you actually look at those numbers... It means that a person who is being paid 100%, right, their wages, whatever the wage is, 11.44, there's actually additional costs are 27.5%. So that's the NI contribution, the pension contribution from the business, and to cover holidays. So if you're employing someone at 11.44, well, actually, it's not 11.44. The cost of the business is another quarter on top of that. It's about £14 something or another. So if you're selling stuff, uh, widgets, at a 50% margin, you're going to have to sell almost 250 quids worth of stuff just to pay for one person to be in your premises for eight hours. It's complete nuts. So you've got, because this is including VAT at 20%, and if you're particularly if you're operating a food and behave establishment, a lot of the stuff you're buying in, the raw ingredients, are not vat- vatable. But everything going out is. So you've got this extra 20%. Anyway, my point is that actually to have one employee on the floor sometimes costs you up to 250 quid. And, you know, if you've got six employees, that's quite a lot of money. And that's quite a lot of turnover you have to do before you even start generating enough income to pay for the other overheads, let alone a profit. And you can see why... That's making things incredibly difficult. And actually, that is going to have a knock-on impact on our town centres. It's not just our town centres, it's other locations too. And I, and I totally appreciate that a, a minimum wage and raising it is a valid thing to do, but there's other ramifications. Okay, so my last kind of little thing to throw in here um, about the high streets that I think... Um, and this is maybe more of a solution than necessarily a problem, but it is a challenge right now because it's not being done, is bringing more residential back into town centres. Um, there are many, many upper floors in buildings that just aren't being used. And I appreciate, particularly in England, there's some planning changes there that, that allows that to happen better. But there are still other restrictions around that, whether it be parking, transport, some of the other things we've spoken about, 
explore indeed the, the physical structure and access accessibility to some of these upper floors. But basically, bringing more people back into the town centres is part of the solution. And sure, the antisocial stuff needs dealing with, the transport stuff needs dealing with, right? All these different bits are all interlinked. And for some of you guys listening, some of the locations you're in, that might not be a problem, right? It might be something else that's the problem. But I think that's probably enough for the leavers to talk about for just now, right? I mean, city centres work. Town centres work. They have done for thousands of years. They are an efficient way of living and doing business. However, various planning, technology changes and economic decisions that we've made has messed about with that. <laughs> now, maybe I'm a dinosaur, but to me, the beautiful efficiency and, how do I put it, the accelerated economics. So the fact that everything is in together makes stuff work more efficiently and that those economics of city and town centres is going to continue to be attractive and worthwhile for many, many years to come. Now, imagine for a second we were to start colonising Mars next week, right? Mr. Musk has got it so that we're all ready to go. Now, don't... Do you think we'll build around a central location, right? You know, to make things more efficient. Or do you think the Martian planning department might be like, nah, we want to create lots of smaller hubs. Let's spread things out. Anyway, Amazon will take care of all your needs up there. You know, you can live wherever you want to be. It's all about efficiency and resources and putting things together in one location that really works, right? So if you take that extreme, it just shows you actually having things all working together makes sense. Apart from all the resources you'll need to build out, transport links and everything else, you can just see, right, these that model works, but for some reason, somewhere along the line, we've messed it up. And some of those things you're talking about there, about the outdated way we generate income from these locations, the challenge with um, planning, the challenge with um, some antisocial behaviour, the, the parking situation, the business, all these different things are all having an effect. So, fine. These are all the problems. Right. What about solutions? Um, as I've said already, there are loads of different levers. But for me, here's some of the key ones, I guess. Don't focus on retail. <laughs> That is not the essence of locational efficiency. That's a word I've just made up. I quite like that. Locational efficiency. Retail is not the one solution for that. It has to be a wider mix of uses, including residential. Experiences, whether that's leisure or shopping, of course, but there needs to be more experiences in there. There needs to be more of a mix we need to change the over-focus of income generation from that retail sector with an inflexible rate system that is just outdated. And I know this gets mentioned over and over again, and I, and I don't have, sorry, I don't have the exact solution right here. Nobody's commissioned a report from me that's going to take me five years to do and cost millions of pounds to give you a solution that nobody does anything with. But the, the rate system is that inflexibility about it and also the fact that it focuses so much on the city centre for um, income. I mean, I mean, you'll all have your different experiences, right? But we, we've got spaces where it's £160 plus per square metre a rates valuation, and then other locations that do exactly the same thing, right? They do exactly the same thing, but it's maybe £50 a square metre. 
And that's just nuts. And that needs to change. So, yeah, changing the income generation model. Make transport work. If I have to get more than two buses or modes of transport, then I'm just not going to bother. That's the reality of it. And if I can't park without feeling like a criminal, then I'm going to go to some out-of-town centre instead and join everybody else at the retail centre, enjoying my national brand of Costa Soya Cappuccino instead of maybe an independent. And planning needs to be all-encompassing and not just based around specific wards or sections of the town. Sure, we see master plans every now and then, but actually it needs more than a fancy drawing and lots of positive verbiage. It needs something happening on the ground and it needs this, um, I guess, the wider context of things other than just, oh yeah, there's yeah, you can build a shop there. There's more to it, isn't there? So there's some, there are some really good examples out there of some town centres where they just work. And there's others that have suffered from either all of these issues, some of these issues that I've just spoken about, and, and they've got their own unique challenges. What's important for us as investors is to understand the dynamics of what we want to operate in and to see if the powers that be have worked out any or a unique combination of solutions that's going to be required to fix what's going on in your area. That's indeed if it's broken, of course. Some town centres are working really well. And are those local authorities working on or, or acting on those plans or do they just seem to be working on vanity projects? Now, no matter what, this will take time. It's going to take many years, decades maybe even, to get the changes and to get them right. The fundamentals of the efficiency, though, brought about by that proximity of, of businesses and people is always going to remain. I think that's the fundamental thing there, right? The, the most kind of, the, the biggest reason for having these places work. And it's about planning policy and income generation. So let's face it, as investors, we can make, you know, we can make our contribution, right, to a high street within our own small footprint, the building that we own or buildings that we own. But the biggest power lies with the local government. Sorry, guys, most of the levers lead back there. I'm not saying they're the problem, but many of the problems and solutions lie at their fingertips. So, some of you might remember, a few years ago, it was actually, I can't believe it was so long ago, 2011, Mary Portis did a high, did a, uh, a report on the high street. She spent quite a lot of time on it, it was quite high profile. And one of the things she said was, the new high streets won't just be about selling goods. Right, tick, yep. The mix will include shops, but could also include housing, offices, sport, schools, or other social, commercial, and cultural enterprises and meeting places. There should become, they should become, sorry, places where we go to engage with other people in our communities, where shopping is just one small part of a rich mix of activities. Utopia, right? Sound familiar? <laughs> the thing is, the policy changes that are needed to make that happen are far-reaching and they're going to be really expensive. The important thing is the fundamentals still remain. It's a concept or place that should work and does work. It's just been a bit messed up recently. So next time you're out looking at the high street locations and wondering if you should invest there, get under the skin. Find out what's really happening. Don't sit on the sidelines throwing in opinions on LinkedIn saying why you think this should work or that shouldn't. Get out and find out the facts 
I think there's some great opportunities out there. And we're looking at more high street locations too. There are a lot of moving parts. So just make sure you seek lots of those professional opinions and facts before before you form your own opinion and more importantly, your investing strategy. Now, I'm really looking forward to the podcast for this year. I think we've got some really exciting um, episodes to talk about, some really good topics, and we've got some exciting new partners joining us as well. So thanks again for listening and for your support. If you have any comments on today's episode or any other episodes, feel free to reach out, put a post on LinkedIn, share the podcast, which would be fantastic, thank you very much, and make your comments. If you think it's complete trash and nonsense, fine. If you think there's some valid points there, great. If you've got some extra levers there that you think happening in your location, please share them. It'd be great to understand how you see the high street. So, thanks again for listening. Really looking forward to this year, and we'll catch up again very soon. Mm-hmm.